This is DM Kate from Radio Free Hamlet, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. This is DM Tim and DM Jackson of Radio Free Hamlet, and we never listen to the Order 66 podcast. This is the Calvinator. On the girly man, listen to the Order 66 podcast, so I'd not be listening. Greetings. This is Jedi Master Trenin Katar from the Heroes of the Old Republic campaign. Trust your feelings. Never listen to the Order 66 podcast. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. Execute Order 66. Greetings, salutation on the eve of Universal Harmony. This is episode 18, episode 18. The Order 66 podcast. This Ooh, is Espanol. Me habla, yo habla. This is Sunday, May 18th, 2008. And we are stoked of big happenings on the horizon, which we'll talk about later. We have some announcements. We have some news. We have a chock full, humongous episode 18 on the horizon for you, Gamer Nation. I'm GM Dave. Again, joining me as always, Mr. GM Chris. What's going on, sir? What is up, Dave? What is up, Gamer Nation, man? Yeah, we do have an absolutely amazing show planned. Uh, we were kind of on the down key about it last week uh, because we kind of wanted to keep it a secret, but we kind of got a surprise for you guys, and um, just we'll a get to surprise. that later. Just a, just a little bit, little bit of surprise, L- little bit, not not too big, just just kind of little bit. Um, but minor, minor. yeah, it's definitely gonna be a big show today. I think so, man. I think so. We uh, we started our home game uh, yesterday. <laughs> you were so still excited about it. Yes, I was stoked, and I and I re-rolled a low-level Wookiee soldier that I only got to play to level two because our our that was the when good games go bad. Remember, uh, I, mm. I I attack with my with my lightsaber, a tiny object. What? I can't hit it. I'm leaving. Okay, yeah. this is the same GM that threw us all into space while people were shooting at us too. So. That was a bad game. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, things went to hell on a handcart, so I brought him back, and I renamed him. So he's a melee badass with a plus five. Strength bonus is pretty disgusting. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You're out damaging the Jedi. It's, it's wicked. And I love it. Now with my rapid it, strike, I'm 3d10 plus 11. <laughs> You're so tickled. I love it. Well, we have bigger announcements than our home game, bub. We do? Um, Yes, we do. We have the first... Well, we don't have, but uh, DM Tim and uh, his whole cohorts have the first adventure of Radio Free Homlet, the fourth edition Dungeons & Dragons podcast, up right now. It is up. For those of you who did not know and and would like to to explore the juicy goodness that is and will be fourth edition, you can download it. I forgot to fire off the sounder, so go ahead. Oh, that's okay. No, no, no. It fit right in. It fit right in. Of course. And you can download it immediately at homlet.com. That's H-O-M-M-L-E-T.com, of course. The podcast is Radio Free Homlet, which is an homage to uh, some uh, very old uh, um, Temple of Elemental Evil D&D goodness for those fat beards out there who remember it. 
But uh, you can also go to our forums at d20radio.com slash forum, uh, which is also the Radio Free Homelet Forum, uh, where you can discuss not only our cast, but theirs as well, and all the juicy role-playing goodness therein. That's right. And see, since they uh, since they got the, uh, got the drop on us and caught us flat-footed, I failed my reflex defense save, and <laughs> uh, I don't have the... I don't have the feed built for uh, for them yet, so you'll notice that the tab that says Hamlet on our main page with all the blogs is empty, and so I will try to have that rectified today or tomorrow. Yes, but it will be up there. And in the meantime, you guys can go directly to Hamlet.com and download that, but uh, hopefully uh, within the next day or two, you will be able to download our cast as well as theirs from our site, d20radio.com. And of course, while you're at d20radio.com, swing over to d20radio.com slash forum and register, become a member of the Gamer Nation, get your voice heard. That's it's right. It's a good thing. Also, feel it's free to give us a call. 206 200 Lusa! L-U-S-A, 5872-206. That is incorrect. Uh-oh. That is incorrect. It's 206-600. What the heck did I do there? See, I don't right. know, man. See, this is, what, this is what happens. This is what happens when you smoke crack before a show, Dave. Oh. I've told you to stop, man. And you, and you know what it is. It's the instance. I'm li- I listen to the instance all the time, the World of Warcraft uh, podcast. Their number is very similar to ours. Theirs is 206-202. And so that's, I've got yeah, it well, in my head. With us, it's 206-600-LUSA-5872. Give us a call. Leave us a voicemail. Uh, I never listened to the Order 66 podcast bumper. Ask us questions for mail call or leave a juicy nugget of goodness uh, in terms of your gaming power or, or, uh, or prejudice, as it may be, if you have anything you want to sound off about. Yep. Or you can email us at uh, gmchris at d20radio.com or gmdave at d20radio.com. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's get on with the show, Dave. We got a lot of good stuff to cover, and we got some mail, man. We got some. We got some good mail. But before we get to our our real mail, um, I, I did happen to get uh, a wonderful postcard that uh, was delivered to me correctly this time. I will say the Imperials are finally getting their act together. You know, obviously it's difficult with them with all those those you know terrorist attacks from those awful rebel separatists. Yeah, those but, rebel um, separatists. Go, guys. Go. Way to go. Uh, dude. Dude, I'm, I'm telling you, you gotta, you gotta get with the program. Oh, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, this strange postcard uh, appears to be printed on a really leathery material with some scaly impressions on it, and the message on the front reads, Welcome to Trandosha! Revere the elders, or we'll eat you! That is all. Oh my gosh. Looks like it's, it's a postcard from Trandosha. All right, let's from see. across the galaxy, it's time for Postcards. From Commander Cody. Dear GM Dave and GM Chris, the squad has spent the last week on Trandosha, helping prep an observatory base to keep an eye on those blasted Wookiees. Trandosha is in the same star system as Kashyyyk, you see, and uh, apparently there's no love lost between those Wookiees and the Trandoshans. Grand Moff Tarkin has negotiated a deal with these scaly reptiles to work with us, keeping the Wookiees in check, and with some help, uh, appropriating them for some proper repayment of their Imperial debt. Trandoshans are rather good at it, I must say. Several of those blasts serving those blasted Wookiees right, <laughs> siding with those Jedi traitors. But things are strange here on Trandosha. The gravity's much less than the core worlds I'm used to. I would train for low-gravity work, but... A week of bouncing around out here is starting to get to me. The Trandos aren't much trouble, but they like to think they are. 
Their primitive tribal governments can't even manage Senate representation. <laughs> Not that it matters much. Morph Tarkin just told me that the Emperor, in his wisdom, has finally dissolved that archaic institution. Good for him. Now, nothing can stop the rule of the Empire. Not even those Bolton spies that accidentally got away last week with some kind of technical readouts. Well, I gotta go and get the extra large binder cuffs ready for today's batch of Wookiees. I'll talk to you blokes later. Long live the Empire! Your friend, Commander Cody. Well, that was interesting. I hate him. Yes. He's messing with my Why? Wookiees. He's messing with my Wookiee people, my brethren. Well, listen, that's there serves them right for for, you know, standing up against, you know, the wisdom of the emperor and siding with those traitorous Jedi. What do you expect, man? You know, and at least the Trandoshans are finally getting their proper due. You know, I think they've been relegated behind the furry shadow for far too long. I'd love to see a Trandoshan in a tuxedo. I think that would look funny. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well, let's get to some real mail. What do you say? I think that that's probably a right fine idea. All right, scumbag, pay attention. It's time for mail call. All right, we got a handful of mail, guys. Um, some of these were uh, emailed. Most of them, though, were sent to us on the forums. We had several po- po- questions posted. And if you guys, again, have any questions for mail call, please get to the forums at d20radio.com slash forum. Post it out there. This is from Zoidberg. I'm amazed you got that name, dude. I'm proud of you. This is from Zoidberg on the forums, and his avatar does match, by the way. Um, <clears throat> this was answered very well by our community members, but I felt it was a really good question when he posted it, so I thought it'd be good to address it here as well. And in his words, um, I have a rules question regarding the Jedi Master Prestige class uh, feature, Serenity, found on page 220 of the Core Rulebook. It says that upon exiting the meditative trance, your first attack roll or use the Force skill check made in the following round is considered to be a natural 20. Would this be considered a critical hit? At first I thought no, but when reading the critical hit rules on page 145, I thought it might be. The rule states, when you roll a natural 20 on your attack roll, the attack automatically hits and you deal double damage. Furthermore, if you're using Serenity for a Use the Force check, under the Regaining Force Power section at the top of page 96, it says, if you roll a natural 20 on your Use the Force check, you regain all spent Force Powers at the end of your turn. Mm. Would Serenity's natural 20 also work to regain all the character's Force Powers? I'm just worried, because this ability has a possibility to be abused. Any advice would be welcome. Yummy. Uh, All right, Zoidberg, your analysis of Raw is 100% accurate, and this is clarified even further in Jedi Counseling 109, which you can find at the official Star Wars Wizards of the Coast website. And yes, using Serenity scores you a critical hit on your attack roll. Yes, a natural 20 use the Force check will return your spent Force powers, and thus Serenity would provide that as well. Is this a powerful thing? Hells yes. And frankly, considering that it's a 13th level character ability belonging to a Jedi Master, it damn well should be. But there is, in my opinion, a bit of a trade-off. Activating Serenity leaves you completely vulnerable and flat-footed for a full round. And by level 13, that is quite often a death sentence if you're working with a GM who's doing his job. So, it's badass, yes, but I think there's a decent trade-off for it. It's also worth noting that Jedi Counseling 109 also clarified that you cannot use Serenity with vehicle weapons, because that could easily break the balance and be broke-tastic if you could. Yep. So, that is the answer to that. You are correct, sir, but um, when you're analyzing it, when you consider that round beforehand, I, I honestly, I think it's a decent trade-off. So, yeah. Next on the list, uh, we got an email from Jake Markin, uh, and he said, hey, GMs. Markin. I, Markin. He said, hey, GMs, I just picked up Saga about a week ago after a friend at school showed me your podcast. It's great, by the way. Keep it up. How did he show Thank him? 
How do you show him? How do you? We're not a video well, cast. Well, no, I, I don't know. Don't All right, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting, something. I'm getting tied up in minutia again. These damn yes, college yes. kids and the new math just driving me nuts. Yes. He says you got me pumped to play. <clears throat> However, I've had an issue with my GM and the character I want to make. We're playing in the Rise of the Empire era, and I really want to make a droid soldier. But mm. my GM says that battle droids, fourth degree, are illegal, uh. and only fourth degree droids can kill. Mm. Is this how it's supposed to be? How can one play a droid soldier then? Thanks, Jake. <sighs> okay, Jake. <laughs> There's a couple things to talk about here. First off, your GM is absolutely right. As is detailed on page 187 of the core rulebook, a droid's behavioral inhibitors keep a droid from ever harming a sentient living being. The only exception to this is fourth-degree droids. However, since you do have a heuristic processor, being a PC and all, you can creatively interpret your orders and work around your inhibitors to kill, as long as you can justify it, such as like by saving more people by killing this one. Um, this doesn't sound very concrete, though, does it? Well, Jake, it's not supposed to. Uh, with droid behavior, there's a lot of GM interpretation and ruling involved. A great deal is up to your GM discretion. I mean, you could play a fourth-degree droid, Jake. Your GM just told you it was illegal, all right? But, I mean, it sounds like, though, with that statement, he's made it clear that you would be hounded and hunted for that, all right? Another option would be to play a fourth-degree droid that doesn't look like a battle droid, all right? If he maintains the look of a first, second, or third-degree droid, well, who will know if, unless he picks up a gun, unless they see you kill, but uh, bottom line, Jake, you need to talk to your GM, okay? Be up front um, and tell him the type of character that you want to play and ask how he can help you do it. Yep. It sounds like he may have a predilection against, you know, a droid characters if you, you know, in that sense, or he may be, you know, a really hardcore canon guy. But if you want to make a droid soldier, talk to your GM. Let him know what you want. I mean, if he's a good GM, he wants to facilitate your needs, he can work with you on what you need to do. So that would be my advice. Mine too. Yes, yes. You know, fact, I think it may, may hit a little close to home for you, Dave. You you had that, that gumption once with a character. Once, yours. but I, I wasn't that necessarily committed to it. But, uh, you know, in, in, all, in all seriousness, a lot of GMs, quite frankly, don't know how to GM droid NPCs. I mean, droid PCs, sorry. It, it is. It is. It can be really tough. Yeah, it, it can actually be really tough. And because what are you going to do? You don't want to penalize your player, right? You know, you don't want to hurt him. But at the same time, if you want to stick with canon and they're playing a battle droid, you may have to. So right. yeah, it's it's a tough thing. But talk to your GM. Talk yes. to your GM. And, and if and if y'all get into a fight, let us know so we can have a when good games go bad. Segment. When good games go bad. Yes. Call us. Let us know. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We got one more piece of mail, Dave. From uh, and I want to make sure I pronounce this correctly because he did he, he did mention it to me, Asok Yizrim on our forums. Ooh. I think I pronounced that right. Um, he says this: <clears throat> I have a question about vehicle damage. When a player character is manning the guns, does he add half his class level to damage as with other attacks? If so, does he add this bonus before or after the multiplier? Because you know most most vehicle weapons have like a times two or yep. you know better multiplier to it. On a related note. Can a character with a handheld weapon, such as a blaster pistol, attack a vehicle or a starship? Are there any penalties? Ooh, look, this is a tough one. <laughs> um, there's a noted opinion on this, and then sources that may contradict with it. So let's dis- let- let's discuss. Okay. First of all, in a related question on Raving Dork's maintained FAQ on Gleemax, it notes that in the case of damage multipliers, such as the laser cannons that deal like you know six die ten times two. Your level bonus to damage is applied before the multiplier. Okay, that's made very clear. Now, that statement would clearly intimate that, yes, you do get your level bonus to damage with a vehicle's weapons. So that would seem to answer that question. 
However, in Jedi Counseling 109, it is noted that there's your attack roll and there's a vehicle attack roll. They're calculated differently because they're different things, which is why, as we talked about earlier, Serenity does not work on a vehicle attack roll. Uh, considering that, it might be reasonable to assume that your level bonus doesn't apply to damage. But we're not talking about attack rolls here. We're talking about damage. And the differentiation in Jedi Counseling 109 was talking about attack rolls. And as such, honestly, I'm cool with Raving Dork's notation. I think it's just fine to add half your level. I really don't think it's game-breaking. And to me, it makes sense, considering the reason they're adding that half-level bonus to damage anyway. Uh, so as for your second question uh, regarding personal uh, weapons to attacking vehicles, the answer is yes. You can attack any vehicle with a handheld weapon just fine. Um, and if you're in speeders, this is probably going to be rather common. Um, all normal rules will apply. But if you attack a ship big enough, um, you'll probably have a pretty high amount of DR and SR to deal with, which would probably make your shot just ping off like it was nothing. Right. So. Yes. Well, that is all from Mail Call. Yippee-ki-yay. Thank you. That is all. And now I have one brief piece of news that we both heard about at the same time. We thought it was hilarious, so let's get to the news desk. The D20 news desk. News. All right. So Darth Vader attacks a church. <laughs> no, not just a church. A Jedi a church. A Jedi church. See, this is ancient. This this comes from Sith, the Sith Wars. I mean, wow. <laughs> okay, this honestly is ancient. This happened on April 22nd. I don't know how that I'm just now hearing about this, but I only heard about this this past week. Um, and this was reported in BBC News. So, and I, I, right. I, I actually, even though I'm a Yank, I, I watch BBC religiously just because I, I really find it to be the only worthwhile news in existence. <laughs> I heard, I uh, heard that it was Dirk Arkham. Oh, well, really? <laughs> well, Dirk, you hear that, man? Call us. Let us know if it was you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll post your mail. Post your mail. Well, let, let's get to this news story. Um, if I'm correct, man. If I'm correct, Dave, there, there was a, a man posing as Darth Vader. Uh, who attacked a Star Wars fan who had founded a Jedi church. Um, Arwell Wayne Hughes, 27, from Holyhead, Anglesey, uh, admitted assaulting Barney Jones and Cousin Michael with a metal crutch. They suffered minor injuries. I'm reading the BBC report. Hughes, who was drunk and dressed in a black <laughs> bin bag, uh, that's a trash bag to you slovenly yanks out there, uh, shouted, Darth Vader! Jedi! Earlier, <laughs> when Hughes failed to arrive on time... Uh, for his uh, court appearance regarding this incident, uh, District Judge Andrew Shaw issued an arrest warrant, adding, I hope the force will be with him soon. <laughs> um, in the end, Hughes turned up, and the case at Holyhead Magistrates Court resumed. Prosecutors discussed how the victim, Barney Jones, had recently started the Jedi Church in Holyhead in honor of the good knights from Star Wars. Uh, the church in Holyhead has about 30 members locally and thousands worldwide. Uh, the cousins had been filming themselves playing with lightsabers in the garden before the attack. And uh, Hughes, uh, the uh, defendant, admitted to two charges of common assault. The court was told he had a chronic alcohol problem and had tr- drunk the best part of a 10-liter box of wine. Box of wine. Bo- for those who don't speak metric, that's about two and a half gallons, people. Okay. Um, Hughes uh, hit Barney Jones over the head with a metal crutch, leaving him with a headache before laughing and then hitting Michael Jones in the thigh, causing bruising. Both men were left upset by the incident. They believed it was pre-planned. 
Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that yeah. out there. Yeah, thank you, yes. Um, wow. Uh, um, uh, the defense attorney also added that the pair believed uh, very strongly in the church and their religion. Uh, Hughes could not remember the incident, um, only realized what had happened when he read about it in local newspapers. <laughs> um, and his defender, Francis Jones, said alcohol was ruining his life and, had, and that he had no idea where he'd gotten the crutch from. Um, the court heard that Hughes had previous convictions, including affray, assault, and disorderly behavior. The judge warned Hughes that, uh, that jail remained a possibility for him before adjourning for pre-sentencing reports. So, yes. Poor. Poor Hughes. Poor Hughes. And just in case you are all questioning the existence of a living, breathing Church of Jediism. That's right. And that is what it is called. I direct you to their webpage at http colon forward slash forward slash www dot jedi dash church dot co dot uk where you can see for yourself <laughs> very interesting very very interesting i just i i've run out of superlatives for this particular story it's just funny as hell <laughs> what's killing me is the 10 liter box of wine <laughs> i know I'm going to drink two and a half gallons of wine, dress up as Darth Vader, and scream, Vader, Jedi! And then go attack a bunch of uh, Star Wars fans outside of a Jedi church. I think that's hilarious, and I think it's it's just yep. wonderful. But it's not as wonderful as what I brought back from Tatooine this week. <gasps> Holy cow, Batman! This is Watto for Watto's Bargain Basement, and I want you to come on down to Tatooine this week for our big special sale. Tell them Jabba sent you and you get a free chance cube. Uh, we got the deals for you. Come on down to Watto's Bargain Basement. Uh, what do you know? Uh, uh, now, we got some uh, some sad mail from people last week when they didn't hear Waddle's Bargain Basement because we introduced a new segment, of course, which was Suspending the Rules, uh, which we actually got a lot of positive feedback on, and we yeah. will be returning with Suspending the Rules. We're probably going to alternate uh, Waddle and Suspending the Rules, or maybe maybe even Suspending the Rules in D20 Docking Bay as things go. And now that we're um, going to have a whole bunch more equipment to talk about on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, we're probably going to have some good Waddle stuff now that we're going to have a whole crap load more of equipment to talk about. Yeah. Yep. But this week, I came back with a utility belt. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the thing that, that the stormtroopers wear that Luke Skywalker peeled off. And, and yeah, it's pretty cool. I could um, have heard you say, we earn them one client at a time. One client at a time. Well, with the utility belt, Batman, you are not, but you're pretty close. Um I love that to, thing. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we it cracked me up because we, in in my own in this, in this home game, we just started uh, this alternate universe campaign, which you guys can read about on the forums um, that I just ran the first session of Saturday. Uh, we literally had three noobs at the table, people who had never played the system before, and uh, it, it kills me because they're they're mulling over what equipment to pick up, they're debating this and that, wondering where to carry it all, and I usually just point to the utility belt. I mean, most folks know about it, but some don't. So let let's share the glory. Yep. How much does the utility belt cost, Dave? A mere 500 credit, and it's worth every penny of it. Actually, it's worth more than yeah. every penny you put into it when oh. you get bottomed down to it. Worth its weight in gold. It's worth its weight in gold. Um, it only weighs four kilos. Uh, but what, might you ask, 
do you get for such a steep sum? Dave, what do you get in the utility belt? A three-day supply of food capsules. Uh, okay, never mind. I'll, I'll stay away from the whole Thank game you, show Rod thing. Roddy. Yes, Rod Roddy. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tic-tac-doe, you know. Tic-tac-doe, yes. Hey. Well, I'll, okay, so you got I'll a three-day supply a of food pack. I'll take a med-pack for 300, Trebek. Uh, toolkit. Cool. A uh, spare power pack, a spare energy cell, a glow rod, and a comlink, and my favorite, my favorite, a liquid cable dispenser with a small grappling hook. And it's all in a very fashionable, mm, extremely fashionable, as seen in Vogue, pouch uh, like a belt containing all that and a couple of empty pouches left over for your stuff like uh, mesh tape, for example. Your other random bits of swag. I, I love it. Um, well, as we said, first of all, the sum here is thankfully much less than its parts. If you were to just buy all that and a bandolier to put it in, you'd be looking at about just under 550 credits. Okay. So, yay! Mass production saves the day! <laughs> all right. Eli Whitney. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's very cool. <laughs> um, frankly, the only thing this kit is missing that I usually buy for all my characters um, is one thing that, that Dave mentioned, of course, some good old mesh tape, one of my favorite things in the book, um, and a quad breather and a breath mask, um, both of which those are, are pretty pricey and or bulky items that really shouldn't be part of a standard utility belt anyway. Right. Um, so good thing I've got those extra pouches to put them in when I buy them separately. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, when you guys are rolling up a character real quick or for a one shot, this thing's a grab and go. You know, uh, you know. All right, Dave, we're playing in twenty minutes. We better scour the book and buy your gear. Done. Yeah. Oh well. Okay then. So, <laughs> it is the utility belt. Go out, grab it. It Today. is. Uh, it is worth it. Absolutely. So shall we move on to our surprise? Let us move on to our surprise. We we had talked about, obviously, we told you guys we were going to be discussing uh, Threats of the Galaxy this week, which is the new supplement book uh, that is not even out yet, uh, technically. Um, it is not out until the 20th. Um, and uh, we really kind of wanted to get some inside information about this particular item. And uh, Dave looked at me and said, well, you know, who better to talk to? Yeah, then, so then let's let's hold who, on a second. Let's let's okay. let's just see what the surprise in and we'll see you guys Gamer Nation on the other side. Well, younglings, we have a little surprise for you. Just a small one, don't you say, Chris? A teeny one, an itty bitty teeny weeny surprise, yes. But it, it's a good surprise. That's right. We're going to talk Threats of the Galaxy, a brand new book about to be released by Wizards of the Coast. And who better to speak about that book than our own Jedi Master, D20 Radio's own, Rodney Thompson. Rodney, welcome back <laughs> to the show. Thanks a lot, guys. It's great to be here. I would think it's Wizards of the Coast's own Rodney Thompson, not so much D20 Radio. Well, but uh, it, it, Jedi Master Thompson is gracious enough to uh, grace our pres- grace his presence uh, on the show, and uh, we greatly appreciate that. That's right. Yeah, no problem. It's always a good time. <laughs> I steal well, that. We, we, from... were, we were talking earlier. You've been you've been a pretty guy, pretty busy guy yeah. of late. What with all the stuff coming out, and I imagine that this release has had you tapped for some time. Yeah, that's true. Actually. Um, I have been done with Threats of the Galaxy for so long that I, you know, almost kind of forgot what was in it. <laughs> we we work really, really far in advance. In fact, right now, uh, I'm just finishing up the very last finishing touches on Scum and Villainy, which is coming out in November, but uh, and then also on another book which hasn't been officially announced, but has been accidentally announced by Amazon as they are wont to do. But uh, yeah, so. 
and that's a 2009 product. So yeah, I, I kind of have to work pretty far out in advance. Gotcha. I think I caught a little bit of whiff of that 2009 product uh, on the forums. Uh, yes. It... <laughs> Astute viewers have found uh, hints on Amazon. <laughs> Yes. Well, we're here to talk about a little more recent release, and I hope you can remember uh, something about it. You know, obviously, since you you work so heavily on it, but it was quite some time ago. But I'm I'm totally stoked uh, for Threats of the Galaxy, which comes out in what two days, three days now? I think the release date is actually officially the twentieth. So oh, two days. there we go. There we go. So I mean, I'm I mean, I got it. You know, it's it's gonna it's already on pre-order. It should be shipped to my house <laughs> uh, fairly quickly, and and I just can't wait. We we just ran a home game. Gosh, this past weekend, uh, Dave was actually in it. Oh yeah. And uh, I certainly could have used used it. It would have been it would have been a lot uh, a highly enjoyable addition uh, to have those ready made ready made uh, bad guys there and and not so bad guys. So I, I just really can't wait to have the resource in my hand. Yeah, I, I got to tell you when uh, when I had finally gotten everything put together and we had sent it off to editing, I had printed everything out on a, uh, a notebook and kept that with me just so I could reference it. And within like the first two weeks of having all the pre-made NPCs there in that notebook for me, it just made my my weekly lunchtime games go so much faster. I can't wait. Now I've seen some of the previews that have been released on Wizards official site, obviously, and then there was one on the actual Star Wars site itself. Um, I know for a couple of the droids and the Reborn were, were released, and just glancing at the stat blocks, I, I love the format. They're so easy to read, um, and I think that alone is just a huge help. In terms of, of the formatting, I mean, was that all you? I mean, is that kind of a, a new thing Wizards is going towards in general, or I mean, because well, it actually, seems like when I'm looking at it, it's so much easier to read. Yeah, the the format is actually one that was pioneered for D and D. Gosh, I want to say almost two years ago, and so we adopted it for Saga Edition for the core rulebook. Uh, as far as the stat block formatting goes, now when uh, when we were putting together Starship of the Galaxy, I knew that we we wanted to do a uh, one page, two page, three page, or four page entry so that you could have stat block, image, and text all there on one page to lay open. It worked really well for Starships, so we decided to port it over for Threats of the Galaxy as well. Which you know, it's kind of a, a monster manual style book, uh, and this is a format that we wanted to to try out. For Star Wars, because it it seems to make it easier to find what you're looking for. Well, it did definitely that way in Starships. I mean, I, I noticed that almost immediately. But you mentioned something very important there. You say it's almost like a monster manual style book. But uh, you know, little birdies have been talking to me, and I've I've managed to uh, <laughs> catch a glimpse of some of the stuff that's going to be in it. And this is not just a monster manual. There's a lot more than just threats in this, despite its name. I mean, yeah, uh, from- so it's kind of funny, actually. Threads of the Galaxy may be a slight misnomer, but we were... <laughs> so when Chris Perkins and I were first kind of brainstorming the concepts for this book, we we were basically trying to come up with a good name to encompass everything, and we kept coming back to, like, Denizens of the Galaxy or Threats of the Galaxy or something like that. Nothing else was really lighting our fire otherwise. And I was like, well, you know, Chris, this isn't just a book full of threats. And he said, yeah, but, you know, you're going to have combat statistics in there for everything, so anything pretty much could be a threat. So I guess it's not... It's technically an appropriate uh, appropriate name for everything, but... Uh, you know, it it was it's tough. Honestly, one of the hardest parts of coming up with this book as a concept was coming up with its title. So, <laughs> even though <laughs> well, think, yeah. even though what we settled on was really easy, and you know, just about anybody could have thought it up, it we we agonized over it for uh, you know a little bit longer than we do for anything else. 
Oh, gotcha. Well, I mean, yeah, and that is kind of its primary focus, I guess, is is a, a threats book, you know, where you're, you're you know, sure. something a GM can whip out to, to throw against his players. But, I mean, just from some of the stuff I've heard, I mean, I understand there's some new races in there. Um, yeah, you know, stuff we, like, like the like the Bith I heard were in there, and uh, a few right. others. Yeah, we, um, we wanted to include a few new crunchy bits like that, and plus there were you know iconic characters that we wanted to make sure we got uh, we got. You know, statted out. So the Bith is actually an interesting one because when I was uh, doing development work on the um, the Crime Lord entry, I the the text that we had gotten turned over from our freelancer covered pretty much everything we wanted it to, but it was coming up a little bit short on filling up the page. So I wanted to add another Black Sun uh, Vigo to the. Uh, to the Crime Lord entry, right? And we already had the Rodian Black Sun Vigo, and I was looking through my Star Wars miniatures collection, and gosh, one of my favorite miniatures is that Bith Black Sun Vigo that's jumping to the side all Matrix style with its two blaster pistols pointed out. And I was like, you know, I, it's kind of hard for me to resist putting uh, something that sweet in the book. So that's that's why the Bith stats are there. It's basically because we, we wanted to fill up that extra column, and I was like, boy, that is a sweet-ass miniature, and we'd really like people to use it. So... <laughs> <laughs> that's how that one got in there. Cool. Well, that's good. Well, I think it's interesting because you know we talk about this as a GM resource, but it, it seems like there's also a lot of options for PC players. I mean, for player characters as well. I mean, you got the new races, and I mean, I understand there's like there's new talent trees and and feats as well in the book. Tarascazi. Yeah. There, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, Tarascazi is the one that I'm going to be taking my my Wookiee soldier up that uh, yeah. that ladder. I can't wait to get to that. Yeah, there's uh, so a lot of the new the crunchy bits like the talents and the feats and the new equipment. Basically, they came about because we wanted to include a certain type of character in the book, and we wanted new mechanics for it. Right? You know, there there is a lot of stuff that players can use in here, but this is you know clearly a GM focused book. So mostly all the new material in here is geared towards making the stat blocks for those characters produce a a a certain feel in game that. You know that we want it to. We want a you know, for example, we want a martial artist to feel distinct from you know just a soldier that's guaranteed or that's using unarmed combat, right? So right. by adding in this Master of Tereskasi talent tree, for example, we can create a stat block that behaves differently in combat. And ultimately, it's going to be up to the game master to decide whether or not to allow you know any of the new material from this book to get into player hands, but. You know, I we we tried to balance it out as best we could to make it, you know, usable by players. But the primary focus is making the uh, NPCs and creatures and droids in this book behave the way we want them to during a combat encounter. Now that seems to be a huge focus, and and I, I guess I guess in terms of all not only saga but but fourth edition design as well this break between oh yeah anything we throw in for the monsters you can also use for a player that was a real like big third edition tenet you know it's like oh wow i can play a monster but that can lead to some and just in my experience some really imbalancing gameplay so i think it's you know i think it's kind of a bold move forward to say you know well you can use this as a player if you want but this is really geared more as a an npc ability Sure. Well, we, we don't go quite as far as 4th edition does, and actually we had a really good discussion on the uh, Wizards of the Coast forums that was spawned by my own blog about the idea of you know character abilities versus NPC abilities and whether or not those need to line up, right? And I'm kind of of two minds about it, because on the one hand, I've been playing and DMing 4th edition, seeing how nice it is and how much time it saves on uh, DM prepping, right? But on the other hand, you know, Star Wars is a totally different game than D&D, right? It's trying to replicate the Star Wars universe and 
and it doesn't have as many monsters per se or magical crazy things that you can just hand wave away. So there's this kind of delicate ba- balancing act. And you know, for example, I, I'm going to go back to the Master of Terrascasi again, right? We, I, you know, I knew I wanted a, a martial artist to behave a certain way and to be able to do some kind of crazy things, and in turn knew that if we were going to let this martial artist do crazy things, I was going to need to find a way to do it that was going to be easy and and um, balanced for a player to do as well. So uh, it's kind of challenging, but I think the end result pretty much does what we want it to. Uh, I guess we'll see when everybody gets their hands on the book and starts playing with it. But yeah, it's it's this kind of constant balancing act between, you know, I just want my I just want my martial artist bad guy. I just wanted to behave this way, right? <laughs> Why can't I do that? Well, you know, this is this is Star Wars. It is a cohesive universe with, you know, pal, piles and piles of continuity, so we want to make sure that sort of what's good for the goose is good for the gander. What the players can do, the GM characters can do, and vice versa. So, yeah, it's this uh, never-ending balancing act. And you'll see this in in future books, too, right? I mean, uh, gosh, I wish I could think of a good example off the top of my head that doesn't sound so weird. Oh, So uh, I'll give you a good example. For Scum and Villainy, I worked on uh, a bunch of new crime lord talents, and when you look at the talents, you're probably going to say, you know what, this is really geared more towards NPCs than it is towards... Uh, player characters, but in the end, your you know your player characters might get a hold of it, and it's not going to be devastating to your game. So that's what we try to do with threats as well, despite the fact that yeah we you know we want this guy to behave this way. So let's make some mechanics that make that happen. Well, that makes perfect sense, and it's like you said earlier. You know, it's going to be up to the GM to decide what they want to let in. Sure. And I mean, there's so much GM decisioning in in the game. Period. It's like you, one nugget of wisdom I I still tout to this day that you you spoke last time you were with us. You said that no system survives contact with the player base. <laughs> That's uh, true. You know, you can make it as balanced as you want, as unbreakable as you want, and players will find a way to make it broke-tastic. And uh, <laughs> one of the things I, I I've commented before um, in in my, my own my own blog and our forums as well as the show is that one of the reasons I really like Saga is that. It, it almost smacks to me of second edition D&D in the sense that it puts the power back in the GM's hands. Um, the rules and, and the system itself seems to have an attitude where it almost says, you know, hey, uh, this, this, there's, there's a lot of, I wouldn't say ambiguous, but GM-determined consequences and rules that allow for that, that individual balancing to occur at the table level. And, yeah, uh, sometimes uh, I, I, can, I can agree with that. Um... Mostly, we just want to make it easier for the game master to do his job, right? And good, clean, balanced rules help that out a lot. So anytime you have something that uh, feels like it's up to GM adjudication, you know, we want to make it easy for the to, for the game master to adjudicate, right? I know you guys talked about the like the dark side rules at one point, how that's right. basically a kind of fluffy GM-determined way to balance out the force. That's the kind of thing that it's really a very delicate situation, right? I mean, on the one hand, you want to make it easy for the game master to to you know administrate, but at the same time, you know, if you don't provide enough framework and enough balance to the rules, it can kind of you know it can overwhelm the game master, or it can lead to kind of the opposite situation: the the tyrant game master who basically says, "No, no, everything you do will get you dark side points. No matter what you do, you know what do you, what do you mean you lifted an apple with the force? That's flagrant abuse of the force power. <laughs> you know, that's a dark side point for you, and a dark side point for you because you were sitting next to him, right? Hey, <laughs> you know you gotta." You got to balance that kind of thing out, right? Um, 
I, I hope that what Threats to the Galaxy does, for example, is makes it easier for a game master to adjudicate kind of random situations that might come up. I know that when I'm running a game, I oftentimes run into um, you know, a situation where my players are like, oh, what, what do you mean the diplomat doesn't want to introduce us to his, uh, to, to his senator? I attack, right? And you're like, uh, okay, okay, let me whip yeah. up some stats real quick, right? So that's, and that's another reason why you have things like, you know, diplomats and astromech droids and things that you don't necessarily think of as threatening right away, um, in, in Threats of the Galaxy because they, you know, you never know what kind of situation is going to come up when you've got players like mine. And so I can only assume that players like mine are players like everyone's. So. Yeah, I would agree with that assessment considering my gaming group, yes. Um, so it sounds like, in essence, what you've done is you've, you're, this book is going to provide tools not only for just your basic threat, but from what you're saying, what you wouldn't normally consider to be a threat. You know, well, gosh, what if somebody does decide to blow away that droid? You know, what's the droid stats? You whip something out of, you know, out of the back of your head, or man, you got it right there. Um, yeah. The, one of the, one of the big goals with the book when we first started designing it was, you know, we want to give, basically, we want to give the Game Master everything they can, you know, every advantage they need in creating a populated galaxy, right? I mean, mm -hmm. any scene you go into in Star Wars, there's always people and droids, and there's very little of, you know, one guy standing alone in a room talking to one other guy, right? So we wanted to put the tools out there for a Game Master to be able to pull out this book and say, okay... In this docking bay, we are facing off against the Game Master. There's also a astromech droid and two mechanics who kind of get in the way, and so they basically make those NPCs obstacles. It makes it, it's it's designed to make your Star Wars games feel more like it's a full-fledged, living, breathing galaxy far, far away, and not just here is this you know isolated capsule of a situation that you happen to be going into just because it's an encounter, right? Right. Well, that, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, one thing Dave and I talk about all the time is that, you know, one of the reasons we like this system so much is because it was clear from inception that the whole intent of it was to really accurately help recreate the films and the canon as best you can. And so sure. I mean, what you're telling me makes perfect sense. If you're, you're creating a tool to allow for that immersion, I think that's marvelous. Yeah, like I say, it's 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 a galaxy full of people and places and droids and and creatures, and it's not always predictable what's going to be there when combat breaks out. So, threats is really designed to be the big book of generic things to drop into your game at a moment's notice, just because you need it. That statement alone should get most people to buy it off the cuff, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, and not to mention, just I mean, obviously for for. GM purposes, but as you said, there's some stuff that can translate over to player. Now, you talked about sure. a lot of the talent trees and feats that are going to be in there, although they may have been you know, conceived for the intent of allowing a, an NPC to, to exist, a threat to exist, you know, that they have this, this player use. I understand there's some new equipment available in the book as well. Um, yeah. Some cool stuff from what I've seen uh, that I imagine you probably you know, created to, to allow an NPC to, to have the, 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 the badassness of uh, equipment that they have. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, just I mean, off the cusp, I heard that there's gonna be like like light whips and you know, cortosis gauntlets, you know, and then you know, simple stuff like riot shields. Um, I mean, was that same design philosophy followed in terms of of keeping that balance there for for player use in this stuff as well? Uh, kind of, yeah. So like you mentioned, the light whip, uh, and that's a really good example of something that's really there for the you know Lumia uh, Dark Lady of the Sith right. character. Right. In fact, I'm looking at that page right now. It's really there to help you know her 
stat block basically behave the way it's supposed to do, right? And uh, the same thing goes for any of the other character-specific equipment, like uh, RSing's biocomputer is in here. When you get to the more generic equipment, like, uh, for example, the slicer gear, we've got computer spikes and memory sticks and little electronic devices that let you, you know, bypass security systems. Those are things that are really there more, you know, to help the Game Master move things along, right? So uh, one of the things I did, I'm, I happen to be looking at the Slicer page right now, was when I was thinking about Slicers, I was like, you know, how, how are Game Masters going to use this in-game? And one of the ways is, yeah, as an opponent, but also a Slicer's the kind of character that you can really easily see your players going to and saying, you know, hey, we need your help, right? Um, a, the Slicer archetype is sometimes played by players, but I've also run a lot of games where the Game Master doesn't actually include um, slicers or a lot of computer combat in the game, and so you don't get, uh, you know, your your players won't won't take those talents and feats. So I was right. looking at the slicer, saying, okay, what's he going to need to help the players? Not just you know to hurt the players, but what's he going to need to help the players? And I went back and pulled out uh, one of my favorite old Western game source books, uh, uh, and and basically picked through it and started saying, okay, oh yeah, this uh, memory stick, I remember that, and turn that into Saga Edition stats, and hopefully it'll be a nice little uh, nice little wink-wink, nudge-nudge for people who have uh, Kraken's Rebel Field Guide uh, <laughs> and also pick up Threats of the Galaxy. But also, you know, these are things that are there to make it easier for the Game Master to move the plot along with this Slicer NPC. Well, that makes sense. And it's like you say, you know, like with the Light Whip being there, I can't imagine as a GM I'd really want my players to have it. You know, I mean, that that's one of those things like, oh, hey, man, can I have a Light Whip? Really? Really? Well, how do you, how do you get that? You know. So yeah. I mean, I see exactly what you're talking about. Where you say it's it's really up to the GM to determine whether you want to include it in the game. But sure, it's there. <laughs> sure. And well, and and you know, anytime we introduce something that's like a crazy cool new weapon, kind of gotta assume that players are gonna want to get their hands on it. And so like the light whip, I'm looking at it right now. It's it's you know it's lightsaber group. It doesn't do a ton of damage, but it's got some reach and lets you you know use some uh, use some feats that you normally wouldn't get to use. So it's kind of been balanced around the idea of players using it but uh yeah it's mostly there to make lumia behave like we want her to in combat that makes sense well uh, despite obviously all the the equipment and the talents and the fees and the races and such let's talk about the meat here let's get to the book's namesake the threats of the galaxy i mean what kind of foes can we expect to find there i mean generics npcs droids beasts non-heroics what what all can we what all can we i mean you mentioned earlier there's going to be this whole gamut of stuff i mean did you guys really just go for everything i mean is there specific focuses you had when you were creating threats sure um so all all those things that you just mentioned are in the book Um, okay yeah, and so basically what I wanted to do was I sat down at the very beginning of the book before I had an outline or before I had thought of the name Threats of the Galaxy or anything like that, and I sat down and I created a spreadsheet. And that spreadsheet had a list of uh, generic characters that you know range everything from saboteur and slicer or pirate or infiltrator or information broker or something like that, and basically made a big long list of those things. And then what I did was I went through and said, okay, what we want this do this book to do is not only provide interesting you know characters to drop into the background of your game, but we want this book to make it easier to design encounters. So I went through and assigned uh, challenge levels to each of those. Uh, each of those generic characters, and sp- made sure the challenge level spread was spread out enough that you could have you would have challenges from low level all the way up through high level, right? And you know, 
granted, we weighted it a little bit more in favor of low levels just because more people play at low levels and it's easier to include low level challenges in a higher level encounter. But basically, the the big overarching intent of the generic characters is these are things that you can use to build encounters from level one all the way up through level twenty. Now. When we did those things, I was like, okay, you know what? I know the Jedi is gonna, uh, the Jedi section is gonna take up, you know, a few more pages. So I said to the author when I handed it off to him, I was like, okay, when you do the Jedi, give me the generic stat blocks, and then if you want to include, you know, an interesting NPC, uh, then feel free to go ahead. Same thing with like the Sith Lord, for example. We've got two different generic Sith Lords, and then let's see, here we got one, two. Two uh, non-generic Sith lords. Uh, and I'll just go ahead and tell you that's it's a uh, Lumia is the Dark Lady of the Sith, and then Darth awesome. Bane, right? And uh, then we also have two generic stat blocks for Sith lords, so that if you're you know a game master and you're running a game and you need to have a Sith lord in an encounter, here you go. You can pull this out. It's a you know challenge level 18 bad guy to throw in as the big bad of your campaign on the fly. But yeah, so. The the and I did the same thing for creatures and droids as well, um, mostly. Uh, NPCs are the big focus of the book, though. They take up, gosh, the first chapter of all the NPCs is probably the bulk of the book. I'm looking at it right here. It goes up to about page 103 out of 160. So yeah, it's, it's, wow. you know, it's a good chunk of the book, right? But it's there to to provide a good spread of challenge levels. And yeah, so that's that's the best thing I can, I, or the biggest thing I can say is that um, if you're looking to pick up this book, you're going to get a lot of generic characters that you can use to create encounters, and then occasionally you'll get an interesting specific character or a uh, slightly more specific character. For example, I'm looking at the uh, Elite Warrior right now, and you've got your CL-15 generic Elite Warrior, but then we've also got a Mandalorian Super Commando uh, in there as well, so... It's uh, you know if you want if you need a Mandalorian there you go but if you just need an elite warrior we've also got that in the same in the same two page spread. Well, that sounds very utilitarian. That's that's awesome. Now speaking of the NPCs, I mean you've mentioned a couple. You mentioned Aura Singh. I know there's a lot. And I don't want to go into every single one that's in there, obviously. But this can, since I guess this kind of uh, means a lot to our show here, Dave uh-huh. mentioned earlier. Someone told me that Commander Cody is in this book. I hope he has he an intelligence is. of six. <laughs> Tell me he has intelligence of six. <laughs> No, no, no. We were much kinder than I, I'm sure you guys would have been to him. <laughs> well, yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, we, so th- we wanted to make sure we let people use uh, characters from throughout the Star Wars universe. And while Cody typically falls more into like a you know the Clone Wars prequel trilogy era and would fit better in a, a book like that maybe... We also didn't want this book to be so dry and generic that people running very era-specific campaigns wouldn't get anything specific to their campaigns out of it. Yeah, so Cody is in the Soldier Commander section uh, on the spread of page 92 and 93, if any of the uh, uh, people are out there grabbing their books right now. Because I, I know some people have actually gotten their copies a little bit early. I've heard that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's where a lot of this. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how. That's that's. I mean, you'd figure. You'd figure. I mean, I don't think a. I'm. It has to be from like a like a gaming shop, and I. I don't imagine. I, I know there's some risk involved in doing that. I don't know. You know. I mean, that's kind of. Kind of wild. Honestly, honestly, totally not my department. So I'm just thrilled <laughs> people are out there getting the book. <laughs> right. Well, that's a very yeah. good point. Yeah, uh, my my job is to create these the the you know the text and make sure everything fits together. It's everybody else's job to worry about the logistics of things. So right. <laughs> well, yes, I think you definitely have a big enough job, yeah, and you do it, you a, do it pretty well. So who can yeah. complain? Thank you. Um, in terms of uh, you know, obviously, we talk about the NPCs. Um, 
I mean, I, I have also read that there's a, a decent amount of droids in this book. I mean, a really decent. Yeah, amount. yeah. So when I was when we were we were concepting this book, I looked back at the uh, Ultimate Adversaries book, and I thought that was pretty good. Now, I, I think I mentioned it last time I was on the show that the I, the original idea out of this book came from the fact that when we were putting together the the core rule book. We knew that we were going to have to cut out a lot of generic stat blocks that had been there in the revised core rules, and so we decided to basically do a whole book dedicated to that, and not just you know a, a small chapter, right? Well, right. that also included, you know, cutting out some droids from the, uh, the the droid chapter, and so when it came time to concept this book, I knew I had a full 160 pages to fill, which meant, you know, sometimes more than 160 uh, characters and creatures and droids, so I was like, well, you know, we'll, we'll just give a whole chapter to droids, and the one big difference between um, the generic character section and the droid section is... All of the droids in the droid section do cover specific models, but we kind of try and keep them era neutral. So, mm-hmm. you know, the astromech droids, for example, there's R3, R4, R5, R7, and the R2R reconnaissance astromech droid, right? That's basically the way that we say, okay, you know what, if you need an astromech droid for your game, take these R-series droids because we haven't had a chance to highlight these kind of droids anywhere else, and so... Mm-hmm. The other thing is, I fully assume that Game Masters are going to be able to take the stat block and throw away all the flavor and fluff and basically say, you know what, this doesn't actually look like an R- R2 astromech droid. It actually kind of looks like, uh, I don't know, the guy, the floating droid from the black hole whose name I can't remember, right? <laughs> and, you know, oh, yeah. All you got to do is scratch out that whole walking and wheeled part of the speed and put in hovering, and you've pretty much got your thing the way you want it to do, right? And that's kind of yeah. the whole whole point of the book, right, is so that you can take these generic things and use you can use them right out of the book if you want, or more likely what people are going to do is say, okay, you know what, I'm going to take the stat block, but I'm going to use it for this special droid that just showed up in my campaign. And so that's why you know the, the droid section is kind of uh, a little bit more specific than the generic section because... Um, well, frankly, these droids are, are iconic in a lot of ways, and um, it's a little bit more interesting to have, you know, the T-0D interrogation droid than just a, an interrogation droid. Right, interrogation droid A, yeah. It, I mean, it seems, yeah. And it, it seems like it's a lot easier, too, with droids to just literally strip the fluff and then yeah. take those stats and move them over. Whereas, you know, if, if I, I couldn't do that with Aura Singh so much, sure. you know. So yeah, that that seems to make a, a good amount of sense. Now, my my other, I guess last question regarding droids is, um, if you know off the top of your head, a lot of droids in the core rulebook, well, some were, some weren't, um, allowed you to obviously use them as player characters. Right. One of the things that excited me was when I looked at some of the previews, especially when seeing like the TC protocol and the three PO military protocol droids, mm-hmm. that they were you know, hey, you can use this as a player character. Are there a lot of player character droids available? I wouldn't say a lot, and this book was by no means intended to be, hey, here's a big book of droids that you can use as player characters, right? Right, right. Um, really, when we were picking out the droids we were going to use for this, and that was mostly up to the individual authors of the, the, the different droids, um, basically we said, you know, get the droid that you need to fill this role first, and then if it can be played as a droid hero, we'll make that work, you know, second, right? Now, down the road, and I'm speaking purely hypothetically here, um, but just to give you an idea of my thought process, if we were to do a big book of droids or a big book of technology or something like that, I think it would be very interesting to, to kind of keep more of an eye towards droids that can be played as player characters. But given the fact that this book is 
more intended for Game Master to flesh out yeah, his, GM resource, his yeah. world. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's not necessarily designed like that. Now, just flipping through here casually, I would say probably, if it's not close to 50% of the uh, the droids in this section uh, that can be played as player characters, it's you know it's not far off of it, right? I mean, you've got some where I, like, we can't let you play the colossal construction droid. Of but, course. But, you know, if you, if you want to play, uh, you know, if you want to play an R2 droid or if you want to play a, you know, GH7 medical droid or, you know, a Dark Eye Probe droid, that's okay, right? But those droids were placed there to fill their roles first and then be played by players second. But, uh, so, for example, I the TC series protocol droid, that was one that I added during development because I was like, well, you know, we've got this M3PO that's a really neat and iconic droid, but... Some people want to play, you know, the more classic C-3PO style. And I looked at the 3PO protocol droid stats in the core book. I was like, eh, what if we gave this droid a heroic level so that it was just that much easier to start out with as a player right. character? So the TC series protocol droid is, is one example of a droid that I did um, make sure got specifically engineered for player character use. But players shouldn't expect to buy this book as the big catalog of droids that we can play as. Well, like uh, never- it's a GM resource primarily. Yeah, and another good example is like the replica droid. We wanted people to be able to play replica droids very easily, so we include a write-up uh, for the replica droid that can be chosen as though it were your alien species, right? So instead of using like the normal droid rules, you just use this little sidebar and plug it in uh, as though, though as though it were your species, and, and voila, you're playing a, a replica droid. Right. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Good sense. <laughs> now, in terms of the, I guess the other major group of threats in terms of the beasts of the book. I mean, I don't imagine there's there's too, too terribly much, but a couple things I've read about uh, that were in the book did catch my eye. First of all, I understand that you guys kept the Corellian Sand Panther in there. Yes. And that is like one of my favorite beasts of all time from back in the day, and I was terribly afraid it would get cut, and so I just wanted to say thank you for leaving it in. <laughs> I don't know why, I just really like it. Um, and then, like, I mean, you got iconics like a crate Dragon, you know, and a, a Nobby White Spider, stuff like that. But, um, the big thing I read about that I wanted to, to ask you about, I understand that you're going to have Womp Rats in there. Yes. Um, and a Womp Rat pack. And there was yes. rules for swarms. Yeah. Before- so one of the things we the, the Wizards did with 4th uh, Edition and then the later stages of 3rd Edition was in, include some new rules for like swarms and, and packs and mobs. And basically, it's a way to treat a large group as a single stat block. And uh, I had, we had, during development, we had come up with basically an extra page. And I was like, you know what? This would be a great opportunity to introduce kind of a new type of threat into the game. Uh, so basically, the way the packs and swarms work is you can take any creature and basically turn it into a pack or a swarm of that creature uh, that basically it increases its size and it gives it more hit points and uh, changes the way it attacks just a little bit but it, it basically allows you to put a, a larger number of individual creatures on the table but still have the same number of manageable st- stat blocks and manageable and you know initiatives and turns to take care of because they're they're effectively all acting as one and it's totally an artificial construct right I mean it doesn't right, necessarily mean that your womp rats get mystically tougher and suddenly start you know doing all kinds of crazy new attacks it's just basically an, an abstract concept to help game masters create you know maybe a little bit more epic and a little bit more exciting encounters by having you know instead of I have four womp rats on the table now i've got 
Actually, I've got five Womp Rat packs, which actually means I've got 15 Womp Rats in play. And that's, I mean, that's just a little bit more exciting, but still very manageable for the Game Master. That sounds great. I mean, I remember when some of those initial concepts started coming out way back in D&D, like you know, with Dungeon Master's Guide 2 and whatnot, where it's like, oh, hey, here's, you know, for a, a pack of things, for a, a, a swarm of people, you know, stuff like that. Managing, I thought it was a brilliant concept at the time. And in this, I mean, we've had people on our own site, our own forums that have been sharing house rules for running swarms. And if, if there's like now an official, hey, here's a way to do it, I think that's that's mar- marvelous. And with one page, you manage to effectively double the threats that are in the book, because you know, what, sure. what you're telling me, I mean, you can take... a single creature and all of a sudden well bam now it's a whole new thread if you add this to it so right. that that's fantastic yeah and we um, you know we, we didn't want to waste a lot of space on it we also wanted to keep it relatively simple so the rules i think are very utilitarian and robust but they're not so complicated that you couldn't apply them to a creature almost on the fly mm, that's fantastic i god I, I'm, I'm over here just just smiling i can't wait to get this book salivating <laughs> and, yep. and look for myself well apologize to your players in advance for me then Oh, yeah. yeah well, you, you, hey, tell Dave right there. He's he's at my current table. I am. Um, <laughs> my condolences, Dave. Yes, yeah, we'll get through uh, it. Maybe <laughs> I did never say never, man. You don't know what's coming. You may not get through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you would. Yes. Well, Arani, I guess I have one final question to you. We've talked so much about this book, and I mean, it's such clearly, you know, it's really great to get a look at the inside design processes and really get a clue as to what's in it. Do you personally have a favorite threat that is in the book? Oh wow, that's uh, that's tough. I've got a lot that um, I worked on or that I I developed after the the authors uh, worked on it. And I gotta say, uh, I was really happy to get to work with all the guys that that worked on this book. Basically, they did a lot of the writing, and then I came in and uh, and helped to make sure that everything came together into a cohesive uh, cohesive book. So a lot of credit really has to go out to uh, the other designers. I'm just gonna go ahead and throw a shout out to those guys. Gary Asselford, Eric Cagle, John Sneed, Robert Schwab, and Patrick Stutzman. Those guys really did uh, a large amount of work on this book and did a really fantastic job. So I want to say, you know, kudos to them. As to your question, I'm really very fond of the the slicer entry just because, first of all, we did uh, uh, Gent, the this very famous slicer from the Timothy Zahn novels. And plus, like I said earlier, I got to go back to the old West End Games book to pull out some new... <laughs> Uh, to pull out some some equipment that maybe had been forgotten to the annals of time, but perhaps not. Other than that, a famous uh, a threat that I really like. It's really hard for me to to pick out one. Um, if I had to, though, I would. Gosh, I would probably say I might have to go back to the Bith Black Sun Vigo, who is a uh, well, he's a blaster beast. Basically, he he's definitely worthy of the whole diving through the air and firing two blasters miniature that he's got. Matrix meets Star Wars, basically. Cool. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I'm I'm hoping the players will have a lot of fun when they finally come up against that guy. He's definitely a little bit more um, straightforward than the the typical crime lord. Like uh, the, the the crime lord illustration itself is a really great uh, great image. It's a kind of overweight. Quarren uh, picking up one of his <laughs> underlings and looks like he's about to beat him over the head with a droid's arm. And uh, so that's that's a little bit more like your Jabba the Hutt crime, crime lord. The uh, the Bith Black Sun Vigo is definitely a more hands-on guy. So I hope that uh, I hope that game masters will have fun throwing uh, throwing him at their high-level parties. Well, I can't wait to see him. 
Well, Rodney, thank you so much for taking the time to come on with us and talk about this this new book. Um, again, on the 20th, it comes out. Run out to your friendly local gaming store or uh, get on the intertubes and uh, go to Amazon or Overstock. I'm sure we'll probably have it as well. And... Uh, get it buy it i if it if it promises to be half of what we've heard today and and what, what i've seen as well um from the little stuff i've seen it's it's going to be worth its weight in gold probably one sure. one more gaming gold for the system well i really hope people like it as much as you seem to without having even seen it yet <laughs> hey well i'm not, I'm not going to say anything specific but uh, uh i i have uh i have uh yeah yeah um <laughs> maybe perhaps glimpsed uh, a page or or 20 I'm sure. um, here, here or there. So, uh, yes, uh, but, but yeah, honestly, I, I, uh, I think it's definitely going to be worth it. So, uh, for those of you gamers out there that are looking for this resource, it's going to be a good thing, I think. <laughs> well, Rodney, thank you very much for spending your time. We know that you are very, very busy uh, pending yeah, no this release and then the uh, other books that you're working on right now. So, uh, again, we thank you. The Gamer Nation thanks you, and I'm sure we'll have uh, some posts pop up asking you all kinds of questions about the book. Don't feel any need to respond to them. We will tackle them if you so desire. <laughs> well, you know, I don't want to don't want to step on you guys' toes. <laughs> oh no, we'd be we'd be the ones nope. stepping on toes around here. <laughs> nope. So again, well, again, Rodney, thank you. You bet. Yeah, no problem. And we are back. Oh, that was fun. It was. It was fun. It was. It was pre-recorded. We uh, Rodney has been extremely busy, obviously, with the launch of the book and uh, a couple other titles that he mentioned it. He's working on one of which he couldn't really tell us that was out there, but if you're really sneaky and get on some forums or Amazon, you'll see that it has been prematurely recently released uh, 2000 uh, recently leaked 2009 title that uh, has a lot of us excited. But I'll I'll leave you Amazon hounds to find it for yourself. Right, exactly. So anyway, we hope you got uh, a bunch of information about the book, and we'll run out to get the Threats of the Galaxy on Tuesday. I know that I will be banging down the door to my local Barnes & Noble because I did not pre-order it. So. No, well, well, don't go to Barnes & Noble if you can help it. If you yeah. can help it. I know where you live, there's not much choice, but yeah, if really you guys isn't. can, I want to take a moment to shout out because there I love There is Lone mine. Star. Close get, to where we work. There, there's a Lone Star close to you. There you go. Um, give a shout out to the FLGS, your friendly local gaming shop. Gamers, unfortunately, are a rare breed. Now, gaming systems like this are bringing new people into the fold all the time. But, you know, you got these big book suppliers that are taking your, your, your average, you know, comic and, and, uh, and, and gaming stores out of business sometimes. So if you got a local store nearby, go out, find them, support them, talk to the guys there. You might find some like minds, and I'm certain that they're going to have copies of the book in as well. And uh, a quick search of the inner tubes will usually find one close to you. And if you can't, heck, go to BNN, go to uh, Borders, or just go online and, and get it yourself. It's it's trust me, it, it promises to be a fantastic book. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And thank you again, Rodney, for taking the time to be on. I swear to God, he is like the hardest working man in gaming. I swear. He he is always so busy, and he always finds time to to get on his own forums and talk to fans. He always finds time to to. You know, humor us losers here. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know it's awesome, and yeah, it it really is. So thank you, Rodney. We greatly appreciate yep. it. Now, in the interest of time, we're going to skip TK, and uh, we're just going to step right into the D twenty docking bay. Docking bay. D20 docking bay, hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. 
This week's installment of D20 Docking Bay brought to you by the friendly neighborhood Outlaw Night Zero. Yes, Outlaw Night Zero, OKZ. Um, we've been waiting on this one for some time. Uh, he posted this in our actual D20 Docking Bay request thread on the forums, which you guys can go to at d20radio.com slash forum and uh, post up suggestions for the D20 Docking Bay. And uh, I'm, I'm really glad we're coming to this now because this mechanic and how it works has a huge impact on gameplay. And this is one of the most often overlooked, underused, and misplayed mechanics in the game. It's time to talk about readied actions. I love readied actions, boy. Readied actions. Stand at the door and kill anybody that comes through it. There you go. Well, OKZ says, all right, I got a big one for you. The ready action. What can you ready against and what you cannot? For example, you pointed out that a Jedi could ready an action to move light object, a grenade, to keep it from striking them. But what about a missile? Uh, personally, I would you know, have the ever-ready, useful move object power as the missile you know, um, would have more momentum to attach to, attach to counter. Um, I've had Jedi Knight 2 outcast on the brain lately, so TK421's thoughts on playing rocket tag with opposing Jedi's ready actions would be great. Well, we don't have TK421's thoughts, but we have mine, and they are suspiciously similar. Oh. Suspiciously. Suspiciously similar. Uh, we kind of answered your, at least to give you my opinion, um, earlier, uh, last cast, last week, um, about the specific question with mo- moving a light object on a on a missile. But let's talk about ready to actions, because this is a very, very important thing. Um, and it actually pl- played a huge role in just the game we just ran yesterday, Dave. And um, this has actually been a point of contention in a couple games I've been involved in. So let's talk about it. Understanding ready to actions. Um, Ready to actions are a really oft misunderstood staple of games like 3rd edition D&D, um, and the ready to action has really seen a facelift in Saga. Now, it's just detailed on page 162 of the core rulebook with the rest of the special in- initiative actions. So, what are the basics? As a standard action, you can ready. That means that, yes, that it has cost you a standard action to ready, alright? What can you ready? Well, a specific standard or move action to occur based on a specific set of circumstances. So you can say, I'm going to stand next to this door as my move action and as my standard action. I'm going to ready to strike down with my lightsaber anything that comes through that door. Or okay. Vibroax. Or Vibroax, in, in, in Dave's case. Um, I'm going to stand back here and train my uh, blaster on the ship hatch, and I will ready an action to shoot anything that comes out. I'm going to ready a move action. Uh, I see that dude with the vibro-axe standing there eyeing me warily. I'm going to ready an action to withdraw um, as a move action if he should approach me. Um, you know, stuff like that. So, if your set of circumstances doesn't occur, well, you more or less waste your round. I mean, you've wasted that ready to action. Uh, you, that ready to action only lasts until your next round. Yep. Um, and you're, you know, you're welcome to ready that same action again if you would so desire. Uh, that happened several times yesterday. Um, and if your action does trigger, it does change your spot in the initiative order appropriately. So, uh, ready to actions. Ready, set, confusion. Uh, a lot of confusion is drawn up regarding ready to actions, but the rules are there, fairly black and white in raw. Also, a lot of really sticky questions were answered in Jedi Counseling 108, which is a great resource. Uh, so, a few common questions and blunders, okay? Raw says that you can only ready a standard or a move action, so can you not ready a swift action? Okay, well, Raw says no, that you can't, but honestly, I can't see your GM not allowing it. I mean, since the rule system pretty much everywhere else says that you can always trade down to a swift action from one of the other two, I think it's reasonable to do so. In addition, Raving Dork's FAQ on the Gleamax thread also intimates this. 
Another sticky situation. What happens when your readied action renders your opponent's action obsolete? Okay, well, the, the prime example of this is reading, uh, as I said earlier, a withdraw action when a melee attack attacker moves to attack you. Well, you've withdrawn, so does he still get to attack you? Is his round wasted? Is he now unable to attack? Well, yeah. But then again, so is your round. You've spent it readying, so it's kind of a trade-off. But honestly, and this is really intimated in Jedi Counseling 108, when you've readied an action, most characters can see that you've readied a type of action, with the exception of like maybe force powers. If you've readied that withdraw action that we talk about above, that bad guy's gonna see you poised and ready to run back and dash away from him if you come close. Uh, he knows damn well what you're gonna do, and he's probably gonna change his strategy accordingly. Um, you know, if your Jedi has a readied action to slice up an attacker that gets within melee range, it means that Jedi's literally standing there with his lightsaber poised like a baseball player at bat. And who in their might, right mind would rush you in that situation? So, I mean, yeah, it would waste the action, but you know, usually the NPC will change their action based on your ready if they can see you in that regard. That's kind of common sense. Again, GMs and, and players don't run their characters like computer programs. It's not a set thing. It's always adaptable. And so readied actions can serve not only to allow you to prepare, but to really change the attitude or outcome of a player, a non-player character, which is something I really like about it. Um, so let's talk about uh, using ready actions well. Okay, well we've discussed it, we discussed some of the weird rules with it, nifty. Great, so what can we do with it? Well, OKZ, uh, again, to answer your question, you talked about our suggestion way back in episode 2 of a force user readying an action to move light object on a grenade. Now, this is legal per raw. Can you use it on a missile? Again, I gave my opinion last episode during mail call, but let's discuss it. Okay, now. Personally, I'd allow it, uh, because a missile is a light object but I give the missile a grapple check to resist. However, that grapple check rule itself, you know, moving flying objects around, period, um, is only listed, as you point out, under the full move object force power. So a GM is perfectly within his rights to say that you need to ready a full-on move object against a missile. Hmm. Um, awaiting the hull breach. Okay, another good use of it. Okay, Dave, do you remember, in A New Hope, the opening scene, when the Empire captures Princess Leia's Corellian Corvette, and they're, you know, they, they pulled it in and they're cutting through the airlock door? Yeah, of course. Okay. Well, you know, there's all those dozens of crewmen that start lining the halls like behind each other, and they got their guns trained on the yep. door just ready to blast whatever you know, unholy evil comes through. Yep. This is the perfect example of a ready action. And to take it to the next level, since the crewmen in the back of that line would technically take a minus five penalty um, on their attacks for cover, you know, because obviously the guys in front of them are, are providing cover to who they're, who they're shooting at. Um, since it only takes two swift actions to aim and negate that penalty, then and then a simple standard action to ready the shot, as a GM, I would even allow a character to aim and then ready a shot. Um, which is honestly what I think happened in the film. Um, and this came up in a game I was playing in uh, for Dawn of Defiance not too, not too long ago, where the GM said, no, 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 you know, you, you can't aim and then ready, and you know, no, I think that's perfectly reasonable, and a wonderful way to use the ready to action. But bottom line, be creative, okay? Understand that by readying an action, you're limiting your flexibility in exchange for greater certainty. And, and sometimes that's really what you need. Absolute man. Absolute man. So there's a brief look at ready actions. Uh, there's a lot you can do with it. And if you guys have any further questions, you can post them up on the forums. Again, at d20radio.com slash forums. You can email me at gmchris at d20radio.com. Uh, tell me I'm full of it. I'd love to hear it. Uh, or you can also email my compatriot, gmdave at d20radio.com. Or call the Lusa line at 206-600-5872. Lusa. Lusa.
Well, I think that brings an end to our chuck full of info cast, wouldn't uh, you say? Yes, it's a fantastic show today, I might add. A fantastic show. I I'm greatly don't. impressed with it, and uh, I have no idea why I'm talking in a horrible British accent. I apologize to our listeners across the pond. <laughs> it's okay. And to Dirk Arkham, who got himself arrested, I hope when you walk out of jail, somebody will say, Hello, chomp! <laughs> Vader, Jedi! Ah! I absolutely love it. Oh, and next week, guys, we are going to be continuing with our Prestige class discussion. We're going to be getting back into the thick of things. After we discuss the Elite Trooper, we're going to be moving on to the wonderfulness that is the Force Adept. That's right. So, and, uh, <clears throat> get your lightsabers and Force Talismans ready for that. I have yes. not told you something that I probably should, and I'll let the Gamer Nation know as well that there's a possibility oh. of no cast next week because we're talking about going out of town for Memorial Day weekend. This is true. This is true. I totally slipped my mind. Well, the next cast is definitely going to be the Force Edit, but it may or may not be next week. Yep. Anyway, mm. in, even, even if we don't, we'll try and get a little something together if we can, but Gamer Nation, I'm sure you'll understand when real life takes priority over the show. They may not, but they should. I know they won't, <laughs> but, you know, what are you going to do? Anyway, it's been a good cast. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening, and uh, have a good one. Peace, love, and good gaming. And keep them dice a-rolling. <laughs> Order66.com heard of I have not. ISPs we do not have on Dagobah. This is Django Fett, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Damn Jedi's. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com. This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at StarWars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at Wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast.